While you are folding episode 47, Wholehearted Parenting. Hi, I'm Catherine Boucher, and you're listening to While You Were Folding. This show is my weekly excuse to talk about my favorite things, marriage, parenting, faith, friendship, culture, what I'm reading and watching, and whatever else strikes my fancy. I've been a wife for 11 years and a mother for nine. I won't pretend to be an expert. I will introduce you to some amazing guests, ask a whole bunch of questions, invite you into the conversation, and encourage you to share what you heard while you were folding. Let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to sit down and push record and set an episode of this podcast back out there. It is so good to be back to a relatively normal flow around our house. Everyone is pretty much back to health and feels like we're into a rhythm. So thank you for the full seasons, but also thank you for the in-between times when our souls can lie fallow and we can use that time to draw closer to you. Especially right now, it feels like a good time for that as we draw closer to Advent and things are ramping up with the holidays. I ask you to draw near to help all of us who might be struggling with a spirit of fear in our parenting or just in our lives in general, that we can surrender all of those things to you because you're already there and you already know all the ways that we're struggling. So open our hands up to stop us from holding on to those things so hard and we give them over to you. Open our ears and our hearts to the places where we need healing and to be let free so that we can live our lives to the full. We pray these things through your name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, listeners. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with me. I am so excited to be back to recording, and it has been a long time. Uh, the last episode I released was back in September. That was episode 46, Live Big, Love Bigger with Katherine Whitaker. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, go back download it, give it a listen. It actually ties in really beautifully with today's show. It was a great conversation about Catherine's new book and about how she says she was led to live a quote unquote, hell yes kind of life and how her family decided to get their priorities right with Christ so that they could live more abundantly as a family. So that was just a really great conversation. I hope you'll give it a listen if you haven't listened to it already. And I promise sometime, maybe on the next episode, um, I would love to do an update on what it was like to go on that silent retreat that I went on at the beginning of September. Check it out. If you live in Nebraska, Cloisters on the Platte. It's a beautiful place. They have a great website explaining what the retreats are like. And if you want, you can always contact me to ask me any questions about it too. But that was fantastic. Um, things have been kind of wackadoodle around here behind the scenes. We've had a lot going on. And I'll be able to share more about those things in the future. 
but the biggest headline is that we have had a lot of illness at our house. I know I mentioned it in my last episode, but it has been going on since the beginning of the school year and our poor Jane was hit the hardest. That's our oldest. She came down with a mysterious illness and was really struggling with it for a long time, but she would have spurts where she'd get better and then she'd have to miss another day of school. Long story short, she has mono and she seems to finally be on the other side of it, but it, it took her out. She was hit really hard. So I am very proud of her for how she handled all of it. Just a total champ. She even ran a 5k. She participated in girls on the run and the season ended right as she was starting to turn a corner and feel better. So I'm just so proud of her and how she handled it. But it has definitely taken me away from the podcast and feeling like we were able to get into a rhythm around here. But it seems, knock on wood, (laughs) that we're finally there. And I'm really hoping to get back to podcasting on a regular basis. I'm going to try and be realistic and baby step back into it. Um, I'm going to tell myself that I'm, I have a goal of doing at least one podcast episode per month, but thank you all of you for being so patient with me and for continuing to reach out with your emails and your questions. I'm so happy to be back and I promise I'm going to try and do at least one episode a month. So last week, I had an awesome opportunity to speak with the beautiful women of the Seward Mops group. And if you are not familiar with Mops, that stands for Mothers Mothers of Preschoolers. And it's a great group. There were probably 50 women or so at that meeting. And they asked me to come. Their theme for the year is called To the Full. And that comes from the verse from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10 talking about how Christ came so that we can live our lives and live it more abundantly or more full. And I was invited to speak because one of the women with the group, she heard my episode, episode 43, called Parenting from Fear. And she thought that it tied in really nicely with how a lot of us struggle with fear in parenting and how it prevents us from living an abundant life as parents. So Ever since she asked me to come out and present on that, God, in his sense of humor, has given me a lot of opportunities to work on that. And that's what my talk was about. And the message definitely seemed to resonate with the women who were there. And I think you'll hear in the podcast recording, um, I definitely got caught off guard when I looked out. And I realized that many of the women were crying during my presentation. And it's, um, that's never happened to me before. It's pretty overwhelming when you realize that something that you're saying is resonating with other people. So I thought I'd go ahead and share it on the podcast today. It's going to be a little bit different for you since you're not live with me. And I hope you're able to hear um, the times when the audience participated, but I created a handout and I wanted to make it available to you so that you could hopefully have a similar experience to the people who were there. If you'd like to download it, you just click on the link in the show notes from this podcast episode, episode 47, Wholehearted Parenting. And it's a Google Doc that you can download and you can fill out. 
And I really hope that you'll take the time to answer those questions and to bring them with you to your prayer time. It will definitely make the listening experience and what you get from my talk a lot more fruitful. And I hope you'll especially do that um, during part four, where I talk about inviting Christ in. Um, I hope those questions will be really fruitful for your prayer time. But really quickly, what's the talk about? It's basically helping women to realize that fear in parenting is completely normal. And it looks really different in each of us. And even if we think we might not be a fearful person, we probably are, but it's going to look really different depending on our background and lots of other factors. Uh, The second thing I talked about was how to get curious about your fear response, why it's there in the first place. And then I moved into strategies for moving through that fear response so that it doesn't take over. And then inviting Christ in and enriching your prayer life by allowing Christ into those parts where you're struggling with fear. And then inviting others to move through fear with us and to share victories with them when we do overcome fear. And how awesome it is to bring especially our husbands, our kids, our good friends that are there with us fighting the good fight against all the bad stuff in parenting. Um, but that's pretty much it. I hope that it's a blessing for you to listen to it. Definitely download the handout so that you can follow along during the presentation and I'll have, I'll hop back on here at the end. Guys, we've got a wonderful speaker here today. We are so excited to welcome back Catherine Boucher. She was here last year and talked about the year of me. And this, uh, today, she's going to talk about parenting and fear. So, Catherine Boucher uh, lives in Lincoln. She's got a pediatrician husband. She's a wife, a mother. She has her own podcast called While You Were Folding. I encourage you all to check it out. And she is our speaker today. So, let's give a warm welcome to Catherine Boucher. Thank you. Can everyone hear me in the back? Yeah. If I ever get too quiet, just raise your hand and wave me down, and I'll try to project more. But I want to be hands-free for today. So, oh, thank you for having me back. I see so many familiar faces from January. I was here to talk about the year of me last time. But let's rewind. So, first of all, how is everyone doing with daylight savings time? (laughs) The struggle is real. Were any of your children waking up at 4.30 the beginning of this week? No? I'm the only one? Okay, I see a a couple nodding heads. Solidarity, moms. We can do this. Um, So today, we're talking about fear in parenting. And I have to preface this. I'm not talking about fear that your kid's going to choke on a hot dog or run into the street. I am talking about the fear response you get when it's 7.40. I don't know what time your school starts. Let's say it's 7.40, you're getting everyone to get out the door. Do we have the field trip forms? Do we have everyone's homework all in the backpacks? Do we have the toddler accounted for? Do they have clothing on their body? And everyone's getting into the minivan, and someone's coat gets stuck in the power door, and you're trying to engage in a power struggle with the two-year-old. What's happening in your body in this moment? Your heart rate's ramping up. Maybe you already have a coat on because we're in winter. You're a hot, sweaty mess by the time it's time for you to actually get yourself into the driver's seat. That is a fear response. 
And I did not realize that for so many years of parenting, my oldest is nine, so I've only been at this for nine years now. But I had no idea that that had to deal with fear and my feeling of losing control in those moments. So today, what we're going to talk about is how each of us has fear. It's going to look really different in each of us, depending on our backgrounds, our family of origin, children, all those different dynamics that go into our family life. But there are three things. There are only three things that I want you to remember from this talk today. So if you only walk away remembering three things, I'm going to call it good. Okay, so number one, fear in parenting is normal, and it's going to look different for each of us. Number two, I am not helpless in facing my fear. Repeat after me. I am not helpless in facing my fear. Okay. And then number three, God's already there. He was there in the past when we were struggling with whatever the battle was. He's with us right now in the present moment, and he's already wherever the future chaos is going to take us in this journey of motherhood. So fear is normal. I'm not powerless with whatever fear factor I've got going on. And three, God is already there. All right. So what are our fears as moms? I'm screwing up my kids. They're going to end up with all my problems and hang-ups that I have. I am not doing nearly enough to prepare them for life. And if you're on social media, I suck compared to so-and-so. They've got it all figured out. And social media becomes this near occasion of sin for you to just compare and get paralyzed by what all of your insecurities and what you're doing wrong. If that's you, unfollow those people. You can still be friends with them. They don't have to know that you unfollowed them. Just stop looking at their stuff if you get into that shame cycle of comparing yourself to them. Um, but, but what do we want? What do we really want as moms? We want confidence that our discipline methods are not only going to be effective, but that they're not going to totally screw up our kids. We want to have confidence that we're preparing them for their futures. We want to know that we uh, have a husband who's going to lift us up and support us at the end of the crazy day. We want to have friends, the village, the tribe, that's going to be able to hear the ugly stuff when you're starting to feel the shame, like maybe you had a really rough morning and you were yelling at your kids, maybe on the way to mops. You're yelling at your kids, and you thought, if they only knew what kind of a monster I was to my kids this morning, and you're afraid to talk about it. You want the friend that's going to listen, and you know they're not going to judge, and they're going to be able to say, yeah, me too. And then beyond that, they're going to challenge you to do better next time. And you're going to figure it out together. Um, and this is huge. We want to know that our past, and even today, this morning, if we screwed up this morning, it's not going to determine our future as a mom. That there's always hope for us to start over again. You can always begin again. If you screwed up the last hour, you start over with your kids by giving them a big hug and you pick them up at the end of this meeting today. You have the whole rest of the day. What time is it? It's, it's not even 10 o'clock. We've got the whole day ahead of us, okay? So if you screwed up this morning, start over. All right. So why am I here? Why am I the one on stage today? Honestly, because I had a whole lot of work to do in this area. Because... Beth invited me to come back. I came and I talked about getting things right in the new year. I had our fifth baby. My life has been total whirlwind since I was last here. I won't get into all the details. But suffice it to say, Beth invited me to come back. I did an episode back in August. I have this podcast, While You Were Folding. The whole idea is you listen to it while you're folding laundry. But I have this podcast, and I did an episode talking about fear and parenting. 
what it looks like, things that people are afraid of, and how to work through it, and just my general advice. Okay, God is hilarious because I did that episode back in August, and God's like, huh, you think you know a little bit about fear and parenting, huh? So what does he do in those scenarios? He threw me all kinds of ways to figure out how to work through fear in my own life so that I could really be tested in those areas. I can laugh about some of it now, but hot dang, it was hard to go through a lot of it. Has anyone been through a situation like that where you think you've got it figured out and God's like, we'll see about this. Yeah, I see a couple of nodding heads. Okay, so I had all these opportunities. Let's rewind a little bit so I can reintroduce myself. For those of you who weren't here last time, Catherine Boucher, I'm the fifth of six kids born and raised in Omaha. I met my husband in college. I taught high school Spanish for a few years, and then we decided to start our family, so I retired from teaching, and I've been at home ever since, and he finished up during this crazy time that is such a blur, medical school and residency, and then he started in private practice as a pediatrician in Lincoln, so we've lived there for a couple years now. And life has kind of slowly settled down a little bit, trying to find my new normal. When I was here in January, I talked about how I'm slowly starting to figure out how to take care of myself, exercise, eat right, all those good things. So we have five kids on earth and one in heaven. Our oldest is nine, Jane. And then we have an eight-year-old named Walt. And then we had a miscarriage back in 2012. That baby's name is Therese, and we believe that she's our saint in heaven. That's interceding for us every day. And then uh, we have a baby, Harry. No, he's not baby anymore, but he's six years old. We found out Harry was on his way a month after my miscarriage. So I look at him every day, and I think, wow, God knew what he was doing. Because without that miscarriage, I never would have gotten to see your face. So how cool is that? So Harry's six, and then we have Dorothy, who's three and Gloria, who's eight months. So that's the baby I had. I was pregnant with her last time I was here. Um, so glorious Gloria. She's the gift I never knew I needed. She's awesome. So Dorothy and Gloria are actually here today with me. Um, and I think Dorothy actually set an alarm on my watch today, and it's probably going to go off at some point. So yeah. So if it happens, let's hope I can turn it off. Um, but So I have these kids, and these kids are fantastic. But the family that I grew up in, I love them dearly. They are fantastic. Fifth out of six kids, okay? But my family did not do a great job of modeling how to handle big emotions. Any emotion other than, I'm good, I'm great, was not okay. It was really uncomfortable, and you were supposed to just kind of shut it down and deal with it. So mothers of preschool children, you know, in parenting, these little people have big emotions, right? So for someone who's used to, when I have a big emotion, my, my MO, what I usually do is I'm gonna stuff it, I'm gonna just hold on to it, I'm not gonna tell anyone how I'm feeling, I'm just gonna deal with it. So I'm gonna pull myself up by the bootstraps and I'm gonna just work through it. It's that good Midwestern, German-Irish, we're gonna just work through whatever we've got going on. Anyone else come from a situation like that? Okay, so, when you, when you have that in yourself, and then you start parenting these little people who have their really big emotions, it's really uncomfortable to be on the receiving end on that. And it's, I'm going I'm to need you to stuff that. I'm going to need you to just work through that over there. Or I'm going to need you to go off to time out. Or you feel this big response coming from yourself. Can anyone relate to that? So um, this past year, I had a family member who was going through a really tough time. And I thought, 
I'm going to go see a counselor so that I can be a better support for this family member. I ended up figuring out, okay, I've got some stuff that I need to work through. And we've all got issues to work through, and there's no shame in that. And it has been the best decision I've ever made for myself. I'm not saying you have to have huge trauma, huge abuse, and if you have, find the professional support that you can get to work through those things. But you don't have to have something earth-shattering to start to work through, man, I'm really struggling with this in my parenting or my marriage or whatever. And just start talking through that with a professional. There is help out there. Um, so I started seeing this counselor. I've gotten all kinds of support and help by meeting with them, thinking I was going to be a help for this family member. What a joke. Um, <clears throat> but it has been fantastic. And it has taught me so many things that are the root of this talk right here. So let's review three things that I want you to remember from this talk. Number one, fear is normal. Number two, you are not powerless against it. And number three, God is already there. Okay, three things. All right, so I, the former teacher in me, we're going to get through this as quickly as we can. I called it five principles of fear. The first couple take the longest to unspool, and I promise we're going to get through it as quickly as we can. I have discussion questions interspersed, so instead of doing discussion at the end, we're just going to do it as we go along with your tables, okay? Because I do not want to be talking at you the whole time. I want you to have time to talk with your people. And to have a little bit of time to do some introspection. I did not plan ahead enough to bring enough pens for everyone. So hopefully you have a writing utensil at your table. Do you all have pens? If not, it can be a little mental experiment. OK, so let's, let's just jump in. And this is super casual. If at any point you have a question or you want to ask something about whatever I'm talking about, just raise your hand. Or shout it out. We don't even have to raise our hands, okay? We're adults. Okay. So you have the handout in front of you. We're going to get to principle one right now. Fear is a normal part of parenting. If you had asked me a couple of years ago, are you a fearful parent? Are you a fearful person? I totally would have shrugged you off and been like, no. Because I associated the word fear with thinking of my husband dying in a fire or getting in a horrific car accident or just thinking of the worst possible scenario, but because that wasn't something that I struggled with on a day-to-day -day basis, I thought, no, I'm not a fearful person. I was so wrong. I struggle with fear on a day-to-day -day basis, and I bet by the end of this talk, if I asked all of you, you would say that you struggle with fear in some way. It's gonna look different in each of us, but we all have fear responses because that's how God designed our bodies. We have a fear response that is called fight or flight. And we are going to have way different ways, and lots, some of us have a lot of baggage that go along with why we respond the different ways that we respond. So I have this fantastic friend, Brianna. Brianna is a licensed therapist, and if you have a friend who's a licensed therapist, you have found a gold mine. <laughs> she is fantastic. So I was telling her about well, it was actually a day when I was struggling to get the kids into the minivan to get everyone out the door to go to school. And I think I was like six months pregnant at the time, super sick, blah, 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 blah. And I said, man, I am so tired of yelling at my kids. I'm so tired of this anger problem that I have with the kids. And she said, well, being the therapist that she is, tell me a little bit about that. So I start to unspool about me being a hot mess and yelling and how I just feel like I'm so out of control and I just can't help. I know that I shouldn't yell at them, but then I'll, I'll just 
the words up are out of my mouth and I'm screaming or yeah, not screaming, but yelling. And you can just see the fear in the little people's faces when I start raising my voice. And she goes, you don't have an anger problem. You have an anxiety problem. That was the first time I had ever thought about the difference. And she started to explain to me what anxiety is and what it looks like. Anxiety, I'm trying to grasp for control and it's not there. Is parenting within your control, the actions of all these little people in your lives? Please say no. <laughs> Unless your children are totally different than mine. I have five of them, okay? If parenting has taught me anything, it is that I am not in control. I think I have the illusion of control, but it is not there. So she taught me that anxiety is a symptom of fear. And for me, my anxiety manifests itself in anger. When I feel out of control, I feel my heart, my heartbeat ramping up. That is me feeling anxiety, loss of control. So I raise my voice in an, in an attempt to regain control. That's me trying to overcome fear. Is anger really helpful in those scenarios? No. And what does it do? It severs the relationship I have with my kids. It makes them fearful of me. Sometimes it feels really good in the moment. And then the second it's over, how do you feel after you've yelled at your kid? I suck. Here I go again. Why did I do that? And then you just spend the rest of your day in the spin cycle of, I'm the worst mother on the planet. Do you do that? Yeah. Yeah? No? Okay. Um, fortunately, I see some heads nodding. I'm sorry. Solidarity. I have been right there with you. I'm working on getting better at that. But that's what today's about, trying to figure out what are the really hard, stressful situations in my day, and how do I respond to them? What does that look like? So I want you to realize today, fear is a primal response, that flight or fight thing. Your brain, you have an emotional brain and a thinking brain. When you feel a threat, and when I say threat, you're thinking of like when you're in the forest and all of a sudden there's a wolf that approaches you. No, I'm talking about when you feel threatened, when you feel some sort of something happening in your life that starts to put you on edge, you are either going to fight or flight, flee or freeze this from the situation. When that happens, your body, your thinking brain goes offline and your emotional brain hijacks the situation. Your emotional brain is going to take over for you. This is exactly what happens to our toddlers. Oh, baby. This is exactly what happens to our toddlers. When, when you just see them melting down in the middle of the Walmart aisle and you're trying to get through your grocery shopping, their emotional brain has taken over. There is no reasoning with this child. Same thing happens to you when you have a fear response, when you're upset about something. And parenting, I already said it before, parenting is all about dealing with big emotions from the little people and within yourself. And on your handout, under principle one, I have that chart at the top talking about what, it, what fear looks like in your body. What does my body do when it gets triggered by fear? Take a second, look through that list, circle the ones that you think apply to you. Maybe there aren't ones on there that you identify with, maybe you can think of something else. For me, it's my heart is racing or I get a pit in my stomach. That's what happens to me when I feel that fear response. So 
take a second, circle the ones that you think most identify, that you identify with, with your fear response. And then after you've done that, take a second to think about that next question. What parts of the day do I struggle with the most? So I listed a couple there that might be possible for you. Leaving for school, bedtime, making dinner. Think about the parts of your day that you struggle with. I'll give you another minute. All right, so table over here. What does your fear response look like in your body? Just shout out some of the words that you circle. Nausea. Nausea. What about over here? Your table, what do you circle? Hyper alertness. Hyper alertness. What about you? Fast breathing or shallow breathing. Fast breathing. Crying. Crying. Tears. Feel like you're coming out of nowhere, and before you know it, you're ugly crying at Target. Okay. What's happening over here? Heart racing. Heart racing. What about this table? All of them? All of them? What about over here? Hyper alertness. Hyper alertness, crying. Okay. So, in these situations, have any of you heard of Brene Brown? Hey, she is my favorite. Um, on the back page of this handout, I listed, there's this fantastic six series talk. It's an audio book that I listened to. And it's called The Power of Vulnerability. And she talks about in your families, when there's a really stressful situation. Oh, here's my alarm. <laughs> okay. When there is a really stressful situation, you have family members that are going to either over-function or under-function. And here's how she describes over-functioning. Over-functioning is hyper-engagement, anxiety, control, achieving, checklists, scheduling everything to the minute, becoming really controlling, knowing what's best for others uh, without looking at my own stuff and micromanaging, okay? Under-functioning, this is your flight or freeze response. So that was fight. I'm going to take over, have hyper-anxiety, control, micromanage, not going to worry about myself. I'm just going to focus on all of you over here. Under-functioning, flight or freeze, ignore or numb. This looks like negligence, laziness, when life feels beyond our reach to have an impact. You become less competent and more anxious, and the more anxious the system becomes, the less you get stuff done and the more you shut down, and you become the subject of talk of all the other people over here. And it's easier for you to not show up and engage than to feel whatever it is that's happening. Birth order affects this big time. Stereotypically, the firstborn, you're going to be the overfunctioner extraordinaire. You are going to be the leader because you're supposed to step up, and you're going to micromanage everyone else, but you're not going to worry about your own stuff because the rest of them got all the issues. You're going to take over. That looks like anxiety, control, white-knuckling it, taking over. Um, and then you have other family members that are going to be looked upon as being 
lazy, incompetent, not pulling their weight whenever there's a family crisis. The, the really bad part about this, there is so much shaming that goes on within families around this dynamic. You have people who have convinced themselves whatever their role was as a little person in the family is the role that they're going to carry into the rest of their lives. So if you were told growing up, you're lazy, you're incompetent, you're a screw-up, you are probably going to underfunction into adulthood and try to eat the whole bag of potato chips and zone out, mindlessly scroll social media rather than engage with whatever the issue is that's at hand. Other people who are told that they're over-functioners and struggle with anxiety, the ones that people can rely on and be the great person, they're going to micromanage, strive to grasp for control, and try to take over the situation and get so busy that they're going to forget to figure out what's going on here. How many of you have already guessed that I probably struggle more with over-functioning than under-functioning? Yeah, I am a total over-functioner more often than not. That's my MO. But what I didn't realize until I started to explore this is that most of us are always swinging on a pendulum. Have any of you heard of Sarah McKenzie from the Read Aloud Revival? If you're ever looking for book recommendations, ladies, go to this website, readaloudrevival.com. I should have put it on the list. I don't know why I didn't. Readaloudrevival.com, Sarah McKenzie. She's fantastic. Okay, back to what I was saying. So she talks about how in parenting, there is the pendulum that we swing from anxiety to negligence. And it just feels like everything that I'm reading is talking about the exact same stuff but using different words. Anxiety, over-functioning. Negligence, under-functioning. Okay? And at the beginning of the day, I struggle way more with over-functioning. Anxiety, grasping for control. By the time it's nap time, the witching hour, dinner time, I am under-functioning. I am mindlessly scrolling social media. I am zoning out. I am saying, one minute, one minute, 15 minutes later, one minute. I'm under-functioning by the end of the day, by the time I'm depleted. Most of us are swinging anywhere between the two during the course of any day. And depending on what's going on and what the trigger is that has us in the fear response, we're going to respond differently because of how we grew up and the way that we've learned to manage the day-to-day -day in our households. Are you tracking what I'm saying? I know I'm throwing a lot of new words and things out there, but does that make sense? Do you identify with that at all? Okay. So um, after my friend told me, you struggle with anxiety, not anger, I started to become more aware of this and trying to over-function, read all the books to try and get over this thing that I'm struggling with in my life. So you already took the time to think, okay, what parts of my day, looking at your handout, what part of the day do I struggle with the most? I want you to look at that next big table on the first page where I have the two columns, anger and over-functioning, also called fight, and then on the other side, negligence or under-functioning, flight or even freezing, numbing yourself to the situation. Take a look over that list. And I want you to think, okay, more often than not, when I have something that comes up in my life, am I usually over-functioning or under-functioning? Mm -hmm. 
All right, talk with your table mates. Share what the part of day is that you struggle with and whether you usually over or under function in response to it. Over-functioner. Toward the end of the day, the witching hour. Why is it called the witching hour? Because it feels like shit. <laughs> you are fantastic. What is your name? Oh, okay. I'm Laura. Laura. <laughs> Laura knows what's up. Okay. Laura knows exactly why it's called the witching hour. It feels like our beloved, awesome children have just turned into these. I don't know why. Yeah, and you feel completely out of control, powerless to get their behavior where you want it to be so that you can just feed the people and get to bedtime, right? No? Yeah, okay. So there's going to be different parts of the day where we feel like we're over-functioning, under-functioning. I just read this fantastic book. Yes, I have a book problem. Um, <laughs> we can enable each other, okay. So the book I just read, it's called The Brave Learner by Julie Bogart. And she talks about how when you start a new family, you're totally in over your desk. And you have no idea how important it is to become a brave learner yourself. And what she means by that is we all have some de degree of dysfunction. Yes, some of us might have trauma, abuse, big things that we need to get professional help to work through. But all of us have some degree of dysfunction. That's a truth of adulthood that I didn't realize until a couple years ago. I thought, ooh, man, my family was really screwed up. No, no, no. Every family has some degree of dysfunction. That's what's called being human, okay? We're all going to screw up in some way. Spoiler alert. We're all going to screw up in some way as parents. That's what God's for. Praise you, Jesus. Okay? But the good news is when you're a brave learner, you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. You figure out what the dysfunction is, why it's forcing you to behave the way that, not forcing you, 
why it's compelling you, why you're stuck in these different patterns of behavior, getting curious about it, and then doing the hard work of working through it. That's what being a brave learner as a mom is all about. So I have a story of just a couple weeks ago. We were having family portraits done because it's fall and it's what you do. And so my parents, for the first time in I think seven years, decided we were gonna do family portraits with my parents, all six kids, their spouses, all the children. Okay, you know what's gonna happen, right? It's in Omaha, I'm coming from Lincoln, and we had the color scheme, so I did all the shopping to get all of the clothes, because you know it's my job as the wife and mother, right? My husband, this is not what my husband's doing, I'm doing that. I got all the outfits, we get everyone fed, clothed, out to Omaha, we're at the photo shoot. Guys, we're early. This never happens. We're early. Thank you. We made it early to the photo shoot. And then everyone else arrives. The photo shoot's underway. No one has spilled anything on their clothing. Everyone's looking good. No one's had any meltdowns. The photographer arrives. He starts getting everyone situated. There are 35 of us. Okay? He starts. Yeah. He starts on this side of, of the family and he's arranging everyone. So which side of the family photo shoot do you think we're on? Do you think we're gonna be last to be arranged? No, we're first. We are very first to get arranged so that we're supposed to hold the pose. I have five kids, right? Nine, eight, six, three, eight months. Okay, okay, okay. So we're posed over here. I'm in a dress, I'm in a chair. Keeping my legs neatly crossed in the front row with all the other moms. And the eight-month-old is doing the thing where like they cannot sit still and she's like jumping constantly. <laughs> she does not want to keep the booties on. If you can solve the booty problem to keep the booties on the little feet, let me know. You can send me a message when this is over. My contact information is on the bottom of the page. Okay. So she will not keep the booties on. The three-year-old has the wiggles. The six-year-old doesn't want to be positioned over here. And the nine-month-old was diagnosed with mono 24 hours prior. <laughs> okay? It was the perfect storm. And so we're over here. By the time the photographer is done arranging everyone over here, what's happening? We have imploded, okay? <laughs> but I start hearing all of these different things going on. The photographer gets started. We're going to pause time for a second. I want you to travel back in time with me to 1980-whatever. I'm in kindergarten, okay? This was the first year that they offered all-day kindergarten. And I was a napper. And the day ended every day, and I was exhausted because I had been on all day long. And being the fifth of six children at this time, we had children in five different schools that year. So we lived in the van. And not really lived in the van, but we were always in the van driving all over town. And I was just exhausted. By the end of each school day, I would get into that van with my Lisa Frank backpack, and I was not fit for human consumption. I was just out of control, and I was going to scream if anyone looked at me wrong, or if anyone did not provide me with the proper snack, or whatever the case might be. Okay, have you all known a young child that maybe struggled with coming down from the school situation? That was me. Okay, I earned the nickname that year, Kindergarten Catherine. <laughs> Kindergarten Catherine was code for, look out. She's got big emotions and she is being difficult. 
The word was difficult. When I am difficult, I am known as Kindergarten Catherine. Okay? And guess what? This name has stuck with me. <laughs> I turned 34, 35 at the end of this month. They still call me Kindergarten Catherine, okay? So come back with me to the photo shoot. So we're at the photo shoot. We have imploded. Not really. Like my kids, as my husband says, they're acting developmentally appropriate. <laughs> what a pediatrician thing to say, right? Okay. So my children are acting developmentally appropriate at the photo shoot, but I am just losing my mind on the inside. But I am doing what I've always done, and I'm going to stuff. I'm going to just hold on to it. And then I hear comments like, um, hope we get at least one good one. I have blood pressure. I, the, the chart with all the different, what do you think is going on? My heart is racing. I have hyper alertness for every little thing that my kids are doing, and I'm going to try and grasp for control, and you will smile at the camera, and all of those empty threats that you have as a mom during the photo shoot, because it's going to be the Christmas card, right? So we got to get this right. And then all of a sudden, the photographer says, this side, pointing to my side of the portrait, this is the difficult side of the family. Oh no, he didn't. <laughs> oh girls. That took me back to kindergarten, being kindergarten Catherine. And then the tears are coming. But I'm going to be pretty for this picture, and I, it's going to be great. And then the photo shoot ends. It's all done. And it's over. And my dad Oh, I hope we got at least one good one. You hear all the different comments of people grumbling under their breath about things being really difficult and blah, 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 blah. In my family, since I'm the fifth of six, we have the youngest kids at our family gathering. So typically, they're the ones who are acting developmentally appropriate and get the attention for doing the negative things, for doing the things that a three-year-old does and so on and so forth, because they're the little ones. Anyone else have that situation? We're the little one. Yeah, okay. So it ends. We get to the car. Everyone else, we're going to go together for brunch to meet up afterward. Because let's, let's continue this. <laughs> so, so I'm buckling everyone up into the car because we're going to brunch. Because we need sugar. Because that'll be ideal in this scenario. We get everyone into the car. Can you tell I have a lot to process here with this story? <laughs> Sorry, I'm almost done. Um, so then we get to the car, and I'm buckling everyone in. I'm feeling the anger and the sadness, and then the power doors closed to the minivan. And now we're in our own cocoon where I can just let loose. And what do I do? I take that anger, and I yell at the kids. Why were you guys not posing? I'm so frustrated that you guys were not looking at the photographer. Why can't we just take a good picture? Why do we have to be the difficult ones? And then, after I've let it all out, I'm sitting in the passenger seat because I can't drive. My husband's driving. And being the awesome man that I marry, he goes, let's just break our rule, put on a show for the kids, and just let them tune out for a little bit. I think we should talk. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> so we're talking, and he says, you know, nothing horrible happened. Our kids, they did a really good job in that situation that they were in. And I said, you know, you're right. And I apologized to the kids. I said, you know, I'm sorry for losing my temper and raising my voice. You guys did a great job. And I'm sure that those were some beautiful pictures. And even if they weren't, 
that can be a really hilarious Christmas card just to show the stage that we were in. And sometimes those are the best ones, and it'll be just fine. And Philip said, you know you're not difficult, don't you? And then what happened? Because <laughs> you know you're not difficult, but you have to have someone that loves you and knows you, the real you, to tell you, no, you're not difficult. And no, your kids are not difficult. They're awesome. And they rock. And you feel rotten for raising your voice and losing your temper, but we've all done it, right? And God bless our husbands. See the tears, the tears. <laughs> yeah, God bless our husbands for talking us down in those moments. And God bless our kids for forgiving us in those moments. Oh, those little voices that say, I forgive you, Mommy. And they're already on to the next thing. Oh, those little voices that forgive us right away. If only we could all forgive that way. Okay, so can you tell? I got a lot of pro to process there with the dang family portraits. Oh, okay, so we get through the family portraits, but it was just that reminder for me that all of those things that we carry with us into adulthood, like that wasn't a really big traumatic thing. We're not talking about sexual abuse trauma. We're talking about getting a nickname that you carry with you into adulthood, and it affects me to this day. And we all have different things like that. And we have to get curious. We have to be brave learners to investigate what are those things and how is that affecting my day-to-day -day parenting, my day-to-day -day life with my husband, my friendships, my relationship with my extended family. So look at your handout. We've got a part on there. Catherine? Yes. How was the brunch? Oh. <laughs> you know, that's a really great question. I have never encountered a brunch that I didn't love. Brunch is my favorite meal of the day. So I just totally owned those chocolate chip pancakes. And I carb-loaded, and it was fantastic. <laughs> I relished those chocolate chip pancakes, because hot dang, I earned them after that photo shoot. But yeah, it was great, actually. Um, so look at your handout. And I asked you to come up with two pain points. This is under principle two. We're on the back side of that first page. I told you the first two are the longest to unspool. The rest will be really quick, I promise. So I wanted you to come up with two pain points, things that you really struggle with during the day. Just do one. And I want you to get curious. Become a brave learner in your life. What do you think is really creating that fear response in you? Figure out what event, time of day, particular situation you struggle with, and what it is that's really creating that fear response. I'll give you another minute.
Okay, does anyone want to share what their pain point is, the part of the day that you dread the most, that you struggle with, and then after you took some time to reflect about it, what you realized the fear response was really coming from? Did anyone come up with anything that was surprising to them? I have like five examples that I'm happy to share, but I was wondering if anyone came up with her. Beth, go for it. Um, so I have dinner time chaos. Raise your hand if you do too. <laughs> Solidarity, Beth. Okay, go. Um, and my fear response is no control and feeling unsupported. Yeah. You feel like the family sacrificial lamb when you are trying to get a meal on the table. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So we feel out of control. Yeah, that was really surprising to me when my friend told me I didn't struggle with anger, that it was an anxiety problem. A pain point for me is when my kids walk in the door from school. And I have this awesome friend of mine. She sent me this article. And there is this real medical condition, people. It's called after-school restraint collapse. This is what kindergarten Catherine is doing. Okay? Your kid is on all day long at school. They give their all, they give 100%, and they're upset because they haven't been with you all day. And then they walk in the door, and fortunately or unfortunately, home is their safe space where they can just let it all hang out. And so they just collapse. They emotionally spew all over you. And you, like during nap time, you're thinking, we're going to have this wonderful, like, homecoming and a snack and we're going to reconnect and it's going to be great and then they come in the door and all of a sudden it's like a scene from the exorcist and they're just losing their ever-loving minds on you and it's because they feel safe and secure with you they've been on all day long at school they get home and they just realize this is my safe space i'm i'm fr they don't they can't verbalize like they're never going to say I'm really just feeling overextended from my tough day at first grade, and I'm just really feeling the need to just kind of let loose right now. How many of us are able to do that at the end of a tough day? What do we do? All over our families, right? Usually our husbands or our kids until our husband walks in the door. And God help our husbands if they call and say, I'm going to be 10 minutes late, because those are the longest 10 minutes of the day. Are they not? Yes. What was that called? What's that? What was that called? Okay, it's called After School Restraint Collapse. I'll send you the link. It's the best. It's a real thing, isn't it? Yeah. So, where am I going? Okay. <laughs> so clearly this is a, a pain point in my day, but the realization for me is I'm typically under-functioning at that time of day because I'm totally depleted or if I'm trying to get dinner on the table. And it's because I feel a lack of control, but rather than over-function at that time of day, I'm just like, Peace out, family. <laughs> you guys, maybe we're just going to have chicken nuggets, and it's going to be fine. And when your husband walks in the door, instead of like, you like earlier in the day, you're like, oh, maybe I'll put on some lipstick and give him a little kiss when we walk in the door, and I'm even going to shave my legs today, and whatever. And then by the time everyone's imploded and the day's just totally gone to the pot, you're like, here, take the baby. I'm walking to my bedroom and you can deal with it. <laughs> yeah? No? Only me? Okay. So you figure out when you're under-functioning and over-functioning during the day. And it's going to look different for each of us. Okay? So you, you found your pain point. You got curious. You're becoming brave learners in your parenthood about what's going on 
in your lives. Okay, here is one of my favorite parts. We're, we're on principle three, girls. Three out of five, we're on three. Okay, this is where the presentation speeds up, I promise. Okay, principle three. Now, when we have the fear response, what are we gonna do with it? I have the best news, girls. I read another book. <laughs> it was actually an audiobook. Mel Robbins, Take Control of Your Life. The premise of this book is we all have a fear response. Okay, now, first of all, this is a Christian group. I don't endorse everything in that book. Language alert. Okay? So there's some good principles, but I did not recommend it to you. Okay? Okay. I just had to put out that disclaimer. So, Mel Robbins, her whole thing is the fear response, science tells us, great news, it only lasts 90 seconds. So what we're going to talk about today in principle three is what to do during those 90 seconds to buy yourself time to get through it so that you don't go back to your old ways of responding to fear. We're gonna figure out how to get through those 90 seconds. So I'm gonna rattle off a whole bunch of strategies for you, and you have them listed on your handout. This is in the, I love charts. This is under principle three, the chart over here. Ways to give your body time to get through the fear response. Okay, so first one, super easy. We're gonna take you back to preschool. Think about your five senses. When you start to feel your heart racing and you have that fear response going, whatever your thing is, pit in your stomach, sweating, crying. Okay, I'm gonna think about my five senses. Start with whatever one comes to your mind first. Sight. Okay, name five things I can see. I can see white chairs. I can see carpet. I can see the stand. I can see, start naming off five things that you can see. What can I smell? I can smell the flowers on the table. I can smell my perfume. I can smell the dirty diaper. I can smell whatever it is. And then just keep rattling off your senses. And by the time you've gotten to your third sense, we're probably at 90 seconds. And hopefully the worst of the fear response is over. Because remember, what happens during a fear response? It's really primal. Your thinking brain goes away. Your emotional brain hijacks the situation. Our goal is to get that thinking brain back online so that the emotional brain isn't gonna hijack things anymore. So think about your five senses. Next easy one, this is really similar, count. I'm gonna count the number of chairs I see in this room. I'm gonna count the number of subway tiles on my backsplash if I'm doing dishes and I'm just in a hot rage. I'm going to count the number of stairs on my way up to change the dirty diaper. I'm going to count whatever, okay, counting. Uh, the next thing is get moving. Put that energy to work, diffuse the anger, go up and down the stairs. Come up with a random task that you gotta do. I gotta go get the mail. And then you're out the door. And if you have the long, dark, scary driveway, you go down that long, dark, scary driveway. You find a way to get your body moving, set the timer for five minutes, and do a quick cleanup. Or you say, kids, we're gonna put on black eyed peas, listen to I Got a Feeling, and we're gonna do a little dance party in here. And that's gonna get you through whatever the moment is that you have. Um, so those are my favorite ways to get through. Uh, another one that I love is counting and breathing to pair that counting with your inhales and exhales. Another great thing to do is to pair prayer with your breathing. I love to do this, if I can remember to do this. On the inhale, say the name of Jesus. Jesus, I place my trust in you. Jesus. 
I place my trust in you. Do it however long it takes to get through whatever you're struggling with in that moment. Um, and if you have some older kids, ask for time if you need it. On the other side of the column, this is when you're talking with kids and maybe you're totally caught off guard. Your kid walks in the door, maybe you have a junior high kid, and they say, oh, I went to a party and there was alcohol. And you're just completely caught off guard. And, and the fear response of your little baby being in that scenario is taking over. I listed several things that you can do to buy yourself time to get through whatever you're struggling with in that moment. So ask questions. Turn into an investigative reporter. So how many people were at this party? And were their mom and dad there? And where did it come from? Just get really curious, ask questions so you can just stay present to your kid. Because the more reactive we get in those moments, the less our kids are going to come back and trust us with their stuff. So we got to get really good at that poker face of, I am not phased at all by the information you are disclosing to me right now. And I'm just going to keep asking questions so you keep sharing that information because this is a safe space where mom's not going to freak out even though I'm losing my mind on the inside right now. You just stop that reactivity by getting yourself to do these things to get through that fear response. Um, I'll just rattle off a couple more. Send your kid to go get the mail so that you can remove them from the situation so that you have time to, okay, what am I going to say to this kid when they come back in the door? Buy yourself some more time. Um, and then ask them what they think. I think that's another really good one. Ask them how they're feeling about the scenario. And then if they're old enough to understand, I said this earlier, admit that you just need some more time to process and work through it. Unfortunately, that's not really one that you can do with the preschool Mm -hmm. age children, but these are some ideas. The ones on the left-hand side of the column are probably going to be your go-tos until your kids get to the age of reason. Um, also, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, consider enlisting outside help. If you're feeling overwhelmed because you're carrying baggage from your, your, your family of origin or your, you suffered from abuse or trauma, enlist the outside help because you have big stuff that is being carried into your day-to-day -day life and you want to free yourself to be available to your kids in those moments. Um, so on your handout, I have listed all the different ways that you can buy time on that chart that I was just referring to. Circle a couple of them that you want to try working on this next week. Choose a couple of the ways to buy time, get through the fear response, counting, thinking of your senses, praying, uh, having the dance party, What's your favorite one? What do you think you're going to try this week? Maybe you already do some of them. Where are my dancing queens? <laughs> Any others stood out to you that you're going to try? Counting. Counting. I like the senses one. That helps me to stay grounded and focused. Okay. Principle four. Invite Christ in. So this one is probably the most self-explanatory of all the five principles, five things that I came up with. I, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through all of it. And I would love for you to take those discussion questions and rather than discuss them with your table today, bring them with you to your prayer time. Work through them with Jesus this week. If you don't already prayer journal, 
I cannot recommend it enough, especially if you're going through a fear response on a regular basis. It is such an awesome, easy, free way to just process your thoughts. And if your prayer life sounds, like if you think your prayer life is supposed to feel really formal and it's supposed to sound a different way, get over it. Jesus already knows all the stuff that you're thinking. You don't have to hide it from him. Tell him. Tell him all about whatever's going on in here. Tell him, I'm really angry about. I'm feeling really abandoned with. I'm so sad that motherhood doesn't feel the way I thought it would. I just don't know what to do about my three-year-old struggle with. I feel so alone in my marriage, and I need help. Whatever it is, put it out there. Journal about it. Use your holy imagination. If journaling isn't for you, one of my other favorite things to do, not when I'm in the fear response, but when I have that quiet moment with a cup of coffee, maybe the kids have gone down for naps, or blessed be God, I have a moment before the kids wake up and I, the house is quiet. I love just sitting with a cup of coffee and closing my eyes, and I call it using my holy imagination. I love to picture Jesus in my family room, in a huge recliner, and he's sitting there waiting for me, and I'm a little girl again. And I go over to him, and I climb up into his lap, and I just rest on his chest, and I listen to his heartbeat. And then I just listen to him say, you, oh, here come the emotions, you're my beloved daughter. And I just listen to him say it on repeat. And I listen to his heartbeat, and I just rest in my belovedness. I just soften into him. And I believe it in those moments. And then I start to picture myself, if I've been having a struggle with my kids, I picture myself in Jesus's position. Jesus is standing behind me and I'm holding my baby. They're all my babies, even the nine-year-old. And I'm holding whoever it is that we're having the biggest problem with. And they're resting their head on my chest and they're listening to my heartbeat. And I'm asking Jesus for the grace, because we all think we're not equipped. We all think we're screwing him up. Say, Jesus, picturing him behind me, behind that big armchair while I'm holding my kid, give me the graces that I need to be the mother you want me to be. And trust that he'll do that for you. And invite him in. He's already there, right? That's one of the big three things that I told you. He was there in the past with whatever the hurt was. He's with you right now and whatever the challenge is. And he's already wherever you're going to be tomorrow with whatever's going on. So invite him in and use your imagination. Journal, put it all down there. If you have to burn it when you're done, go ahead. So there's no evidence. But take those opportunities to really process through whatever it is that's going on. I put down some verses, and I did not realize. Beth had sent me what the theme was for your year to the full, and um, there was something about fear in there too, but you had chosen a key verse. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said that he came that you might have life and have it to the full, to live more abundantly. I chose that as one of my key verses for the talk without even remembering that you had sent that to me. He doesn't want us to be paralyzed by fear. He wants us to be happy and live in abiding joy and trust. So keep inviting him in. That's number four. So rather than discuss it with your tables, we'll move on to principle five, if that's okay. But I definitely encourage you to take those questions with you to your prayer time or your holy imagination time. Um, 
This is a really quick, easy one. Principle five, invite others in to your battle against fear. I'm talking about inviting in your spouse, your kids, your friends, and your extended family. Brene Brown, I'm going to go back to her, that awesome talk that I reference at the end of your handout about vulnerability. She talks about how so many of us grow up in families where we're taught that we either have to be a Viking or a victim. You're either going to kill or be killed. You're gonna either, either going to be an a-hole or a sucker. Isn't that a middle ground? <laughs> and that we have to put down the armor and just learn how to get over that concept and learn how to soften into vulnerability and figure out how to do the in-between of those two things and that it doesn't have to be an either-or. And she also talks about how there's this thing called foreboding joy in parenthood where I'm sure all of us have done it. You're going and you're tucking in your kids at bedtime. Maybe you have a newborn baby and you're looking over their crib and then you just think, oh, what a beautiful baby. And then you're, are they breathing? <laughs> and all of a sudden you think your child is dead in front of you. <laughs> or you're on a romantic date with your husband and it's been long overdue. You even put on heels. And you're having this awesome dinner, and all of a sudden you have this vision of your husband dying in a fiery car wreck. What is that all about? That is called foreboding joy. We think if we can dress rehearse every possible horrible scenario, that we can protect ourselves from the horrible feelings of the worst possible thing. Is that true? Can we really protect ourselves from all those big feelings? No, we're going to feel them anyway. So the better choice is to, when we're having those awesome moments, you're looking at your sleeping baby, you're on the romantic date, you're having a fighting-free moment with all your kids in the afternoon during the witching hour, sink into it. Soften into it. Do your best to ask Christ to help you to be present in it. Because this is the stuff that God came for. This is the stuff that God sent his son to redeem. Because, yeah, we're all going to screw up, but invite Christ into, thank you. Thank you for blessing the witching hour. Thank you for this beautiful baby that I'm looking at. Invite him in so that you can soften into those moments. Uh, perfectionism. Model for your kids that you make mistakes. One of the best things that our family has been doing this past year at the dinner table, when we remember to do it, is to go around the table and talk about a mistake that we made that day. And not only the mistake that we made that day, but what we learned from it. And it can be something really simple. But we started doing this, and the first night that we did it, my then seven-year-old son said, Mom and Dad make mistakes? And I thought, holy cow, kid, isn't this painfully obvious? I thought that <laughs> you're the first witness to so many of the things that I screw up on every day. But he seven-year-old boy, like, they don't think we make mistakes. But that's a problem. Our kids need to know that we make mistakes, and we need to, on a daily basis, not only show them that we make mistakes, hopefully avoid them when we can, but show them that we make mistakes. Model what to do after you make the mistake. So the day that I, family portrait day, I had to model, mommy screwed up by yelling. Mommy's going to say that she's sorry. Mommy's going to ask for forgiveness. We have to model to get through it so that they understand that we're making mistakes and that, that there's no one-and-done thing. No one screw-up is going to determine everything for us. And I think that's what perfectionism does. It paralyzes us. It makes us think, 
that it's it's a one and done thing. Now I must screw up, and now I've screwed up my kids forever. It's not true. Don't buy into it. Most important thing. Two more things, and then I'm done. First thing, friends. You have to remember you're not going to do this parenting thing alone, and it is essential that you find the friends that are empathetic and not sympathetic. Okay, Brene Brown. Obviously, I love the women because I'm referring to her all the time. She talks about someone falling into a hole. Okay, the person falls into a hole. The sympathetic person comes along and says, "Hey, you fell into that hole." That sucks. And there's no way in heck I'm coming down there. The empathetic friend comes along and says, oh my gosh, how'd you get down there? What happened? And they're going to let you unspool. And then after you're done unspooling, and only when you're done unspooling, they'll say, wow, yeah, I've been there too. That's happened to me before. And then they're going to help you out of the hole. And then they're going to figure out with you, how can we avoid this in the future so that you don't fall back into the hole, okay? We all have had the sympathetic friend that you've confided in about something and then you leave the conversation feeling like, well, now I feel really uh, not at all supported and that was uh, horrible and now it feels like that person's judging me for disclosing something to them. But we've also had, hopefully, God willing, if not, pray for that kind of friend, pray for the empathetic friend. Kind of friend where you can disclose, wow, I really lost it on my kids this morning. And you, you feel like there's shame in that, and that you're alone in whatever the thing is, and that you can't open up and share it. But once you do, if you have the blessing of having that friend in your life who's able to hear it and let you in school, and maybe they don't struggle with yelling, but they can empathize with, yeah, I can understand how difficult that moment must have been for you. But the best friend is going to challenge you to do better next time. So be thinking about how you can foster those kinds of relationships and how you can lead in that way. How you can lead in being the empathetic friend and modeling that kind of behavior. Because sometimes people just don't feel free to do that until someone else does that with them. So if you want that kind of friend, I challenge all of you to do that in your relationships. Model that kind of vulnerability and the willingness when you think the person has earned the right to hear your story to actually share it with them. Okay, so that's the first thing. Last thing, make sure you are figuring out what your victories are with fighting fear and really celebrating them. Really take the time to think before you put your head on the pillow each day, I totally kicked fear's butt today. And figure out what those moments were. Write them down if you want to. Or just think about it before you go to bed each day. A couple examples if you're looking for examples of what a victory would look like. I told my dad that we wanted to keep coming over, but not if he's going to drink or if he's been drinking. That's a victory. I took a deep breath instead of yelling when Susie was being silly and knocked over her milk. That is a huge win. I asked my brother to stop using sarcasm when he talks to the kids. That's awesome. It was really uncomfortable, but I told Mrs. Smith that I cannot be the class mother this year. <laughs> I chose discomfort over a huge obligation that I'm going to be bent out of shape about for a whole year. So I know that it's time for us to wrap up, um, but I'd love for you to think about a victory that you'd love to share with your best friend 
by the next six months, by the time it's six months from now, and be working toward that so that you can have that victory in your life. But remember the three things. Fear in parenting is normal, that you are not powerless against it, and to invite Christ in because he's already there. Okay. That's it. Thanks for having me. That's all that I have for this week. I am so thankful to the women from Seward Mops for inviting me out. Several of you have connected with me over social media, and I hope you'll keep in touch. Um, And I want to hear from you. Listener, did you find yourself nodding along to what I talked about today? Were you able to identify fear in your parenting in a way that maybe you hadn't recognized before? I want to hear about it. You can email me at podcast at katherineboucher.com, or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram, or my favorite, you can send me a voicemail on Voxer, that free walkie-talkie app. That's V-O-X-E-R, and just search for Catherine Boucher. If you liked the show, please share it with a a friend. Our podcast community keeps growing and growing and growing. And I know it's just because all of you have been sharing it with your friends. So maybe you think this conversation today would resonate with a friend of yours, or maybe you have a small group that gathers for a Bible study or a mom's group or a women's group that you're a part of. Maybe consider sharing it there. And maybe the handout would even serve as a great discussion for all of you. Um, I know that I'm still working through a lot of it on my end, and I have a lot that I'm processing with my friends and my husband. So I thought I'd share it here in the hopes that it would be a blessing to you somehow. Um, But I can't wait to hear what you think about it. I hope you have a great week, and I hope I'll be back soon with a new podcast episode. Until next time, don't be afraid to begin again and share what you heard while you were folding.